I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. This week, we're actually talking about a topic I'm very excited about because I'm going to be learning and I love learning as an educator. I'm always educating. I like to just sit back and listen sometimes. So we're talking uh, a little bit about different autumn celebrations in the United States and even in Canada where I'm living now. A lot of times uh, we tend to think that, you know, Thanksgiving is all it is. And there's lots of other things going on culturally and uh, in different religions as well. So I'm curious to learn a little bit more about that. And we're going to be talking a little bit more. Thanksgiving is its own topic in itself. Which we're going to be talking about also this month, just sort of about why it's a little problematic and uh, how to de- sort of decolonize that. Um, but today we're focusing on other autumn celebrations. So instead of me pretending that I know all about them, uh, I'm going to let our uh, lovely guests talk a little about, bit about them. So we're just going to introduce ourselves with our name, our pronouns, uh, where you're from, your relationship with kids, and what autumn celebration you celebrate. And we'll start with Rachel. Hi, everyone. My name is Rachel. My pronouns are she, her. I'm from New York, and my parents are from Hong Kong. And I am an EFL teacher. I've taught in Korea, Taiwan, and right now online in China. And I celebrate the Mid-Autumn Festival. And my name is Leora. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a cis Jewish white woman. And I'm originally from South Africa. I live in San Diego, now in California. I'm a lifelong educator, a mom too. And I've been in the early childhood arena for a long time. (laughs) I've worked with children of all ages and I do work with their grownups too. And the holiday that I celebrate in the fall is Sukkot. Hi, uh, my name's Jennifer Hartman. I am a she or her, and I'm from Canada. I'm pretty much coast to coast at this point in my life, but right now my home is in Quebec City. So the relationship with my kids, I'm a mom to an almost two-year-old boy named Ragnar. It's an ancestral name for us. And my husband felt like he really hit the jackpot when he could name his firstborn son Ragnar. I guess uh, the Autumn celebration that I celebrate, I'm going to list two of them. One is Maybon. It's one of the minor celebrations in the Wheel of the Year. And the second one is Winter Nights or Veternate. Winter Nights is a major holiday in the Nordic calendar. And I mentioned both of those calendars because they are slightly different. The heathen calendar has become more modernized over the centuries and we've started basing a lot of our holidays on the Wiccan wheel of the year so it's still nordic it's just uh it just looks a lot better so uh winter nights it's a traditional holiday my swedish mom passed down to me and it's one that i've been taking care of understanding enough to continue with my family I always ask the same question, same first question when we begin our episodes, uh, because we talk a lot on this podcast about sort of the tricky questions that kids might ask. And so uh, I would like to ask you, has there ever been a time when a child asked you a question that you maybe weren't prepared to answer or caught you off guard? Sometimes their questions are just a little too complicated to answer for their age. So depending on what it is, I either try to break it down Or if I really can't answer, I turn it back on them and I'll just say, oh, I don't know, but maybe you can go find out and tell me. Well, you know, my most common question being a preschool teacher is where do babies come from? And, you know, that in itself is a complicated question. And, 
most of the time I really do defer to the parents because especially with very young children, it's not my place to impose my beliefs on other people. And I don't know these families well enough to know what their core beliefs are. I know generally where each child in my class came from, but I don't really know as much about their their beliefs and, and their structures at home. So I usually try and defer to the parents. I deflect a lot, but generally very hard questions. I basically just send home. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, some of the neighborhood or one of the local girls were kidnapped and found dead. Oh my God, how uh, horrible. Yeah, the, it was weeks of trying to find these girls and everybody was so invested in this. I didn't expect the little kids of the neighborhood to know about it. I don't know, I guess all of the parents never thought it was a good idea to talk about it openly between us to get ourselves prepared. So while I was walking my dog, two of these uh, neighborhood girls said, did you hear about those two girls that died? And I had no idea what to say. I was shocked. I had no idea if they'd heard it from their parents, YouTube, another neighborhood kid. I didn't know how to respond. I choked up and just said, yeah, it's so sad, and continued walking. I had no idea what else to do. I spent the next two days wondering if I should have asked them how they felt about it, if they needed to talk, or if I should have gone directly to their parents to give them a heads up. My husband had to deal with me talking about this, freaking out about my response to these girls for two full days. Yeah, after two days, I saw their dad on the street, and I let him know about it and everything that I just went on about. It sounded like he had a good handle on it, but I think uh, I definitely need some sort of training in this sort of thing before my own son comes home with a topic I'm not prepared for. Yeah. Well, I think it can be especially hard. And we talk about this a lot because, you know, we have all different kinds of folks who interact with kids in different ways, like educators and, you know, different things where you might not be interacting with your kids. And I think it's always especially hard when you're not with your own kid, right? Um, Like I feel that too, as a nanny, I, you know, don't always know, I might know the answer to the question or how I would answer, but I don't always know if it's appropriate in that situation, right? Like how much information should I be giving? these random neighborhood kids you know what I mean like that they're gonna go home and then tell their parents well you know you know Jennifer told me this about death and you know right like going you know it's like you know it can be definitely tricky to navigate those those situations I mean even with your own kids but especially when it's like you don't really know where the boundaries are with other other kids okay so jumping into our topic uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about the you know the autumn celebration that you celebrate. So I'm going to dump all of all of these and you at once. But you know, I'm curious, you know, when does it take place? Is it cultural or religious? And sort of what is it all about? Uh, well, for the mid autumn festival, it happens on the 15th day of the eighth month of the lunar calendar. So it changes every year depending on the moon. And this year it was October 1st. It's a little, most Chinese holidays are like Christmas in the Western world in the sense that it started with religious connotations, but now it's just a cultural staple that everyone celebrates. The point of the celebration is mostly just to celebrate the moon and the harvest. Uh, But of course, we have our legends, which are attached to the holidays. And 
you always see pictures of these legends when you go into Chinatown during this time of year, like the little bunny rabbits. Yeah. Is it? So I'm curious because I saw someone posting yesterday about the Moon Festival. Is that the same thing? Yes. So we have a few names. The Mid-Autumn Festival is just the most literal translation because it's Zhongqiujie, which is like middle fall and then festival but you can call it the harvest moon festival the moon festival the koreans call it chuseok and i think in other countries they have different names but the idea is still the same in terms of traditions we always eat mooncakes that's the most important one there are a lot of different flavors depending on which area of china you're from because of what grows there but coming from hong kong the traditional ones have lotus seed paste inside and there's almost always egg yolk inside because it represents the moon so when you cut it open it looks like the moon's inside the cake because family is a huge thing in chinese holidays there are so many calories in a moon cake that you cannot eat it alone it just <laughs> is imp- i mean you could but it just would not be healthy so you have to <laughs> you have to cut it into pieces and share with your whole family and there's also a legend that apparently the emperor used to put coded messages on top of a mooncake and send them out because we typically give mooncakes as gifts and then the soldiers would cut them into pieces and rearrange them to read the top I love that. Subterfuge through food. I'm into it. But yeah, generally in Asia, we just get together with family. My parents like to play mahjong. Other more religious sectors will go to the temple and pray uh, or give offerings to Changi, who lives on the moon. She's the moon goddess. But just in general, we come together as a community. When you're talking about more religious folks celebrating, what religion is it associated with? Usually, Buddhism, Taoism. Okay. I'm curious what your personal favorite thing is about about this celebration. I think it's the general feeling of festivities because I feel like in the West, a lot of celebrations are family-based. Like you can go outside and see the Christmas lights, but you always come home with mid-autumn festival and Chinese festivals in general. We always go out. So you're with your family. But there's always a time when you go out because you have to light firecrackers and then there'll be a dragon dance. And nowadays they tend to light lanterns as well. So you go out by the rivers or the waters or a very popular street and there's just lanterns hanging everywhere. And that's really my favorite part, which I did not get to experience a lot being in America, but I did get to experience when I was living in Asia. Sukkot is a Jewish religious holiday, and it's we also follow the lunar calendar. And Sukkot is celebrated on the first full moon after the Jewish New Year. It's a holiday about food and abundance, and also the contrast, so the scarcity. And we live in a temporary dwelling during the holiday, and that helps us acknowledge the fragility of the shelter and the fragility of us and our lives. Uh, It's a week-long holiday, and it celebrates the gathering of the harvest. Um, It represents the biblical time from when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. Um, I think most people are familiar with that story. But people do look at the holiday from different perspectives. Some of them observe it more as a religious holiday, and some 
observe it more as a cultural holiday, like as a marker for the changing of the seasons. Some of the traditions that are associated with the holiday is we build a hut, usually out of wood, and we cover the top with leaves. It's imperative that the stars can shine through so that you can understand the uh, the relationship between you, your your smallness, and and the largeness of the universe, or if you believe that God is watching over you, so it depends on what your belief structure is on that to to why you associate the stars shining through. And the roof is usually made out of natural resources. Traditionally, it has been palm fronds, but it's not exclusively that. The temporary structure reminds us to be thankful for what we have. Since this structure will not last forever, it reminds us that we are fortunate to have our home and it helps. it's helpful with our intentions. So it helps us remember that there are others who are unhoused and sitting in the hut is a reminder of our own fragility. Another tradition that we do is we literally take matters into our own hands. We have four species of plants which we use. Um, it helps us feel empowered to engage with the natural world. Um, it helps us to protect the world with our own hands and our own actions. The leaves are called the lulav. The lulav is a closed frond of a date palm, which represents the spine because it's tall and, and firm. The myrtle, which resembles the eyes. And the willow, which resembles the mouth. And then that is the leaf structure that we hold together and then we have a, a citron which we call the etrog which um, is a citrus fruit shaped roughly like a human heart and so we represents the heart and it reminds us that all our senses are used to keep to do good we put it all together we hold it all together and we shake it all around to remind us that all of us our being is used to represent good. My family has like a little fun tradition from when my children were young. Every year, my child would draw their own picture for the sukkah. And each year, I would preserve them and we would hang them on the walls in the sukkah. So by the time my children were older, each of them had their own gallery of decorations and it reflected their growth as they grew up. And even though they're grown now, we still use them and we still look at them. And it's really fun. And just for the folks who not know, the sukkah is the word for the little hut you were talking about, right? That's right. Are there any specific foods or things that you eat? Actually, this is one of the holidays that does not have specific foods. Many people use the foods that represent the harvest festival. So often there's a lot of vegetables and fall foods like you know whatever's in season but it's about plenty it's about giving whatever you're eating you are helping by giving other people to eat and it's one 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 holiday that doesn't really have a specific food do you have a personal favorite thing about the celebration my personal favorite thing about Sukkot is the inclusion um, on Sukkot, there is a tradition of welcoming everyone into the sukkah. And everyone is welcomed. We even invite our ancestors to come into the sukkah with us. Um, but it's not always a literal welcoming. Because especially, you know, 
this year we are not going to be able to have anyone in our sukkah um, because of you know coronavirus and social distancing. Um, but it is a time on focusing on helping other people so dealing with food insecurity and things like that. So by including everyone into your sukkah, it also means donating to the food bank or helping people around you. It's not a literal sukkah all the time. Uh, some people associate your body, yourself as a sukkah and um, you are the sukkah of peace, the sukkah shalom. And you bring the peace and you bring the help to the world by being the vessel as well. So as I said, I celebrate Maybon in winter night. So it take, Maybon takes place on September 24th this year. Uh, it does change depending on what kind of what hemisphere you're in. And depending on the year, I believe in the modern calendar, it follows along the moon cycles. But with, when it comes to winter nights, it's generally celebrated around the harvest moon, around mid to late October or early November. However, the medieval manuscripts will say that it's celebrated somewhere around the middle of October. Uh, so uh, Maybon is meant to be a day of appreciation and hope for a good harvest. It's a good day to be appreciative of good health and make sure that your neighbors are cared for. It's kind of like a Thanksgiving, so to speak. And Winter's Night is the last harvest day of the year. It's traditionally a day to honor and celebrate your uh, ancestors, particularly the ones that who have parted this past year. For myself, uh, it is cultural, but to many others, it is religious. I'll touch on the both the general and the personal traditions of Maybon. I'll start with Maybon. During the medieval Scandinavian era, people were probably too busy working on their farms to celebrate it much, but when their workday was finished, they would enjoy a nice harvest meal, and then the community would gather for a big bonfire. It was worrisome if somebody didn't join because it hinted at poor well-being before the winter months ahead. During the modern times, Maybon is seen more like a day for balance where you can take where you should take as much as you give. My family tried to incorporate a bit of it all. So we started the day by purging our house of all the things we no longer need and put it up for donation. It's it's important to give back to the community. And you know, at first, if you think about purging your house, you're like, oh man, I don't need this stuff. But we do this quite often throughout the year. So it's at the point where it's things are getting kind of cutthroat. <laughs> so uh, other than putting some things up for donation and giving back to the community, we shared the things that we're thankful for. We enjoy we enjoyed a modest harvest dinner, and once our son was asleep, my son and I enjoyed a fire in the backyard. Uh, when my son gets older, we hope to donate and volunteer at a local food drive to give back a little bit more. As for winter nights, uh, there isn't a lot said about it in the medieval manuscripts, but from what's been gathered, it was a night only close friends and families were invited to. Strangers weren't welcome at all. They'd actually be turned away, and back then, you would take visitors. You'd, you'd give them a little wine, you'd give them a little food, and then they'd maybe stay the night. But during this night, it was the only time of night the entire town would turn somebody away. Like it was a sacred night for these people, so you just you don't mess with that. So during this night, people would gather over a dinner to honor and respect their departed ancestors. 
Traditionally, coming from my Swedish side of the family, winter nights is a time of year where the world between the living and the departed are the closest. So it's customary to share stories of your ancestors, talk about who they were and the things they did. As my son grows up, we plan to include him in this as well, but we also want to include stories of his genealogy so he can feel better connected with all of his ancestors. It almost reminds me of Day of the Dead a little bit. Yeah, a lot. I don't know if it was maybe inspired from this or what. I know following this, because it is a pre-Christian holiday, following this, the church did come up with All Hallows Eve and All Saints Day. But yeah, it's just nice to see people being connected with their ancestors more and more. So since Maybon is a harvest celebration, anything seasonal is recommended. Uh, This year, my family and I had a modest dinner of a farmer's sausage with some vegetables that grew in the garden. So we had some potatoes, cucumbers, tomatoes, and eggplant. Or I did, because apparently nobody in my house likes tomatoes. So for winter's nights, uh, boar is usually the main food of the meal. But I have no idea where to find boar in Quebec City. So we're going to be enjoying some ham, some sweet potatoes, corn, and maybe even some apple or pumpkin pie. So my favorite thing about Maybon is how humble and caring it is. It reminds me of how hard life used to be and how hard it can be now. And I like to be thankful for what we have. And I try to help those who might not be so lucky or able. My favorite thing about winter's nights is that it makes you take the time out of your life to remember the people who have sacrificed and worked so hard to get you the life you have right now. And if any of our ancestors had not gone so far into their life, we, would, we wouldn't be here to enjoy whatever we have right now. Uh, absolutely. I think I think about that a lot, even in my own life, just like the little sort of the little things that we do and how they impact our, our lives. And it's like, you know, if my my grandmother hadn't casually been on that camping trip and met my grandfather, like I wouldn't exist. Hey, folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Brad Child Podcast. We actually have an exciting announcement today, which is that we're running a book drive. So this basically works one of two ways. You can either receive a book or donate a book. And you can find out all the information about how to do either of those things on our Facebook page. So basically, the way this works is if you would like to receive a book, all you need to do is fill out an application with a little bit of information about you, the kid or kids that this book is for. And this is uh, absolutely eligible to anybody who um, either has kids works with kids, uh, so educators, childcare providers, parents, anyone like that. And so basically you just fill out the form with a little bit of information about what you're looking for and then we will either send you a book directly or pair you up with someone who will send you a book. So if you would like to donate a book, basically we will pair you up with someone and you can send them a book based on their interests. So you just need to fill out a little form as well. It's just a couple questions to try and match you up with uh, the right person uh, and then you'll send them a book. So if you're interested in that, again, you can check out information about that on our Facebook page. Or if you're having trouble finding that page, you can just email us at radchildpodcast at gmail.com and we'll send you the information. And if you are someone who likes awesome children's books, definitely check out a kidsbookabout.com. They have lots of great books. And if you use the code radchild at checkout, you can get $5 off. So that's another awesome thing that you can do. Um, Other than those two announcements, it's basically just the regular stuff. So if you'd like to find us online, you can go to www.radchildpodcast.com or you can find us at Radchild Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
If you'd like to connect with us, uh, you can email us at radchildpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to www.radchildpodcast.com under the contact us section. Under that section, there's also information about how to be a guest if you would like to be a guest. And if you would like to join the ranks of the awesome Alex, Kai, Emma, and Sarah, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash radchildpodcast. You can make a monthly donation as little as a dollar a month. Every dollar really, really helps us. Um, This is really a passion project for me, and most of uh, the costs of the podcast come straight from my pocket. So I appreciate really every dollar. You can also get some awesome rewards if you donate, things like um, bi-monthly bonus content, bloopers, Um, You can get care packages with children's books and other fun things. You can get children's book recommendations for the kids in your life. There's really some awesome stuff, so definitely check that out at patreon.com forward slash radchildpodcast. We also want to encourage you to check out uh, the Upford Network, which is the network that we are a part of, and that you can go to www.upfordnetwork.com, and there you can check out some other awesome shows that we have. You can check out Natural Toonie, which is our Dungeons & Dragons podcast, which I am on. You can also check out uh, Yeah, which is a YA podcast. Um, If you're interested in YA, maybe you have older kids, or maybe you're just an adult like me who loves YA. Um, So we have lots of really great shows like those. So definitely check those out. Other than that, uh, that's about it. So I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and Crystal. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books. We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. So uh, moving sort of into talking to uh, talking to kids about this stuff, you know, obviously you just gave me sort of a, a lengthy kind of grown up explanation. But, you know, if a kid asked, uh, you know, what is Mid-Autumn Festival or what is Sukkot, you know, how could you explain it in kind of a simplified way that still explains what it is? I would use the legends that are attached to the holiday because there are stories for all the Chinese holidays. And it's a great way of learning not only about the culture, because I feel like a lot of myths will reveal a lot about what each culture holds important, but it also explains in a kid-friendly way why we celebrate this holiday. Um, So there are three really popular legends, but I only really know two. And the first one was One day, the world woke up and there were 10 suns in the sky. And so, since the earth was burning, an archer named Ho Yi came and he shot down nine of the suns to save the world. And then one of the immortals, oh, side note, immortals are kind of equivalent to gods, but in Chinese culture, anyone can become an immortal. 
if they're virtuous enough. It's not, I guess, exactly the same as the Western terminology of a god, but they just, they live forever in the sky and look over everything. But one of the immortals were very, was very impressed by him, so he gave him an elixir of immortality, so he could become an immortal himself. But there was only one serving, and he didn't want to leave his wife, Chang'e, so he gave it to his wife for safekeeping and went about his life. But then one day, one of his students was really greedy and tried to steal the potion, so his wife, Chang'e, drank the potion to protect it and then flew out to the sky because immortals can't live on earth and she decided to live on the moon when her husband came back he was heartbroken because she left and so he went outside and made a table and an offering for the moon in order to coax her back and that's how the legend started or the honoring of the moon and then the second one involves animals. So one day the emperor of heaven, the king of all the gods, came down to earth because he wanted to test the virtues of the animals. And so he found a fox, a monkey, and a rabbit and told them to get him something to eat. But he was disguised as an old man, so they didn't know he was the emperor. And so the fox went and got a fish, the monkey went and got some fruit, but the rabbit went and couldn't find anything. So he came back sadly, and the emperor said, you guys didn't work together, and because of that, the rabbit couldn't bring anything back. So the rabbit told the fox and the monkey to get some firewood, which they did, and he built a fire and then jumped into the fire to offer himself to the emperor. And so the emperor was so moved that he took the rabbit and placed him I think it was a her placed her on the moon to live forever. Oh my gosh. It's there's actually, and I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with this book, but there's a really great rendition of the, the first, first story that you told um, called the shadow in the moon. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. It's a kid's book, but it's, Oh, it's, it's really, really good. It's, and it's really, the illustrations are beautiful, but so that's the only reason that I'm familiar with that story. <laughs> it's a great way to learn about the festival. Yeah, totally. And, and that book also like, it starts out like with the family gathered together and they're eating mooncakes and then you know the kids are like you know asking their grandma to like tell them the story so it also has a little bit of the holiday traditions in there as well which is cool uh i would say the jews were slaves in egypt and after the israelites left egypt they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years it's a very long time but they were wandering around and they couldn't build a permanent house So they had to build these huts out of branches and leaves. And once they got to Israel, they became farmers. And when it was time for them to harvest their their crop, they would make huts the same as they did in the desert, in their fields for the harvest season. And so that's why we built these huts, to remind us of those two things that happened in the past. And we celebrate by giving thanks to the food we get from the earth. And when the children are older, we can teach them about the bounty of the earth and how we honor the earth. But uh, with the younger kids, that's how I usually define it. So for Maybon, I would tell them that Maybon is a day to be thankful for everything you have and to help other people who need it. 
for winter's nights, I've, I just explained that it's a day to remember the people who aren't with you right now. I'm curious, you know, how someone who, who doesn't, you know, celebrate these celebrations, you know, how could they teach their kids about them in, in a respectful way? So like sort of talking about the difference between like appropriation versus appreciation, right? I think the stories are a good way and food. Because in Chinese culture, food is very important. When you see someone, the first thing you say is, which means, have you eaten? And that's that's our version of hello. As an Italian, I can relate to this. It's like, it's just very important that you have eaten and you are full at all times. Uh, so I think using food is a great way because I also feel like food can't lie in terms of for example, if you decide to make mooncakes with your kids, it is a very, very, I don't want to say tedious, but it's a very difficult task. So, and then you also have to find these ingredients, which you normally wouldn't find in the Western world. And so by doing that, you also learn about things like lotus seeds or certain types of flowers that they use or the patterns they used to print on these mooncakes. And it gives you a deeper understanding of the holiday, but also of the culture. I think the component to emphasize with folks who might want to engage with this holiday is emphasizing the earth-based nature of it. Because Sukkot has its origins in the fall harvest, it's a way to appreciate the bounty of the earth and to appreciate the natural world around us. Personally, I take the opportunity to introduce, reduce, reuse, recycle, um, and I use this concept um, in one of my books, actually, where the main character uses her citron to make marmalade and then she uses a seed to plant a tree because I like to bring the holiday back to nature. And uh, just for our listeners, what's the name of that book? It's called the Tobishvat Etrog, and you can find it on, on my website, moraliora.com. I would tell them Maybon is like Thanksgiving. The only difference is that it has nothing to do with Christopher Columbus. So it's like not problematic Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It has nothing to do with the Christopher Columbus or the first English settlers. I mean, every history does have some violence with it, but at least we can feel a little bit happier about not celebrating that. Death is a really hard subject to approach with kids. It would really depend on what the children are already familiar with. I think even just like looking through photo albums and talking about past family, you know what I mean? Like without bringing up the fact that like, hey, they're dead, you know what I mean? But we can talk about like, this was your great, great grandmother. This was. I know with my family, we always regularized uh, or normalized death. So it was something we were always prepared for. And I think Charlotte's Web really helped with the whole natural cycle of life as well. <laughs> sad, sad movie, but it helps you understand that death is a natural thing, but the D word could be really big for some kids. So I guess in the end, I I tell them that you know, Winter's Nights is a night to remember and celebrate your ancestors. Maybe keep it simple and short. And if they really want to ask more, just lead them over to your genealogy chart or something. <laughs> I'm curious, what, what are some kid-friendly activities that maybe people could do with their kids associated with this celebration? We tend to make lanterns out of paper, hang them. For older kids, you could try paper cutting, which is a traditional Chinese art. You need an exacto knife, so it's a little 
more dangerous, but the effect, the end product is a lot prettier. You could also try shadow puppets, making a little shadow puppet theater. I've seen people starting to do that as I learn more. Well, for Sukkot, um, you know, your, your idea of the mask is very similar. You can do the same thing with Sukkot. You can do a box, turn it, you know, so that the top is kind of open and put, you can go and search out and find natural things like leaves to put on top, or you can just decorate it any way you want and just make a, a sukkah to sit in and live in and read in and sleep in, whatever you want to do. So you can build a real sukkah if you choose to. The families usually build sukkot, a, bi- a big sukkah together and everybody uses their own ability to make something. So maybe the children maybe will draw a picture or hang paper chains or anything to hang in the sukkah, um, help with you know building it in any way. A lot of families use recyclables to decorate their sukkah to show that uh, we're not producing more waste and that we're conserving our precious resources. And also recyclables often last from year to year and so you don't have to keep remaking your decorations. People go on nature walks. Some people go and camp and live in the wilderness for support, you know, bringing them back to nature. So there's many options that children can do that are associated with a celebration. Yeah, so there are plenty of child-friendly Maybon activities for kids. You can uh, you can always take your kids out to pick some fruits or vegetables from the nearest farm. Uh, go foraging for supplies to decorate your home for autumn. So you can always, yeah, you can always do some cut and paste activities or maybe make some wreaths. Uh, you can always go camping and enjoy the last good camping weekend of the year. <laughs> or uh, even go enjoy a big harvest day feast while sharing thanks for everything you have. Yeah, It's also a really good excuse to teach your kids how to be accountable and caring. So you can take the family out to go help an elderly neighbor rake their leaves, donate clothing you no longer need, or help give food to the homeless. Just remember that Maybon is all about balance, so you should take as much as you give. The winter's nights, I, I'd almost just make it a normal, just go with the flow. So you can always open up your genealogy charts or come up with fascinating stories of some of your more exciting ancestors. Uh, Talk openly about the people who were really close to you so that your kids grow up with a sense of connection with them. And for this one day, I would say set out an extra plate for an ancestor, which symbolically would say, hey, you're welcome at our table tonight also set out some pictures of the ancestors that you do want to celebrate and swap stories about them. Share with each other the things that you loved about them, the things they loved, uh, what you enjoyed, your, your favorite memories. In the end, your children are going to end up harnessing that, like a, a familiar connection with them as well. And your ancestors will definitely feel honored you have such fond memories with them. So as we sort of start to wrap things up, I'm curious if you have any resources about this topic for being kids or adults, you know, books, shows, websites, anything. Netflix has a new movie coming out actually called Over the Moon. It's a little animated movie and it's related to the Mid-Autumn Festival. So I think that one would be interesting to check out. And also if you don't mind subtitles, which 
you should start your kids young, watching things with subtitles. That's my opinion. You can find Journey to the West. There are multiple reiterations of it. My favorite is the one from the 1990s, but there are more modern versions. But basically, it's a really long show about the Monkey King and his group. And uh, they go on a journey and they basically meet everyone from Chinese mythology. So it's their adventures plus all the Chinese myths. Oh, that's so cool. And is it is it a show or a movie? It They have movies versions, but it's a lot shorter. So gotcha. we'll learn more from the show version. I have a few books that I like to recommend. I'm, I guess because I'm an author, I always go first to books. The one is The House on the Roof, a Sukkot story. It's by David A. Adler, and it's illustrated by Marilyn Hirsch. And the reason that book resonates with me is because I've always lived in high-density living situations. And when Sukkot came around and everyone was building their sukkah in their beautiful gardens, my children always felt a little bit other in those situations because, you know, we lived in a tiny little apartment. And I'm not always fond about books that have a problem and then we solve the problem. But this book felt so true to my own experience that I liked it. So there was a, a landlady who, who isn't nice and then he built his sukkah on the roof. And then um, in the end, like the justice, actually that situation happened to me where I said to someone, look, just it's only seven days. And they said, well, our um, association rules is that we have to give you 10 days notice. And so it really actually resonated. It, 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 and so that's why I picked that one, because not everybody lives in a magnificent house with a magnificent garden. The other one that I like is The Best Sukkot Pumpkin Ever. It's by Leila Steinberg, and the illustrations are by Colleen Madden. And it's a book about a boy who helps harvest pumpkins at the end of the season, and he donates the pumpkins to the soup kitchen. And in the end, the only thing he takes home are the seeds from a rotten pumpkin, which he can plant so that he, so I like that one. And then of course, I recommend the Tubishvat Etrog by Leora Lazarus. It is um, a photographic book. Uh, The photos are by Cindy Friedman. And it is a book about how little Danica thinks about her etrog, which is the citron, and how the citron should have more uses than just being there for Sukkot. And she makes marmalade with it, and then she uses the seeds, and she plants the the tree. And that's inspired by my real experience that I did with my class. And I actually still have my etrog tree growing, and so that's awesome. I love that so much. There's also another, I don't know if you're familiar with this one, but the Sky High Suka. I don't know if you know that one, but it's sort of a similar story where there's two kids and they both live in apartment buildings. And so the one like can't, you know, they can't have a suka and the other one has the space, but his family doesn't, you know, have any money for it. And they enter a contest at school and they like win one and um, they all come together. It's really cute, but it's another one that sort of has, has that idea of like, you know, that, um, you know, not everybody has the space for it. It's a really cute one. And then a grown-up resource for Sukkot. 
I mean, for for any Jewish thing, really, is PJ Library. You don't have to sign up to get their books, but they do have a lot of information on their website. There are many places you can go, but that's a middle of the road, neutral kind of look at at the holidays. Yeah, I have some blog posts on my website available for parents that'll explain the celebrations and it will also lend some activity ideas for the family. So it's all broken down in detail. There's also an activity section on my website with like free printables for kids. I don't really have them focused on the holidays just yet. There is one for the wheel of the year. But I've been working this past month on researching a lot for the Norse calendar. It's uh, paganKids.org. So I'm curious if you have any like personal projects, things you're working on that you'd like to plug. And I know you mentioned your website, but if you want to be found elsewhere on the internet, on social media or places like that, where can people find you? Well, I'm currently Zooming around the country with my new book, Millie's Mask which Seth, you put in your list, and I was so grateful for that. And it's a book, there's also a Jewish version, but it's a book about how one person washing their hands and wearing a mask and socially distancing um, helps stop this awful virus. And I'm very proud. It's also being translated into Spanish. I'm that, that what I'm currently doing. And then, of course, I'm zooming around with my Sukkot books and... At the moment, I'm running an online pre-K program um, for families like mine who are unable to go back into in-person classrooms right now. And the classes follow the Jewish calendar and include school readiness skills for kindergarten. So that helps the children who maybe are not able to go back to school right now. And so the links to everything is on my website, which is moraleora.com, M-O-R-A-H-L-E-O-R-A. It's all there, anything you need. And feel free to contact me personally um, on anything. I'll, I'll do my best to help you with anything. Yeah, actually, I am getting really close to the end of my book launch for Old Mother Frost. So exciting. <laughs> uh, it is a children's Yuletide book based on the Norse pagan origins of the holidays. And it's based on an old German goddess who comes down from the sky 12 days before Yield to make sure children are happy, healthy, and festive during the longest and coldest time of the year. It is designed to be humble and inclusive. So it's a way, it's my way to help bring the holidays back to its roots. I have more information about that on my social media pages and my website. So my website will link you to everything, paganKids.org. But I am also on Facebook and Instagram under Pagan Kids. So lastly, where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found? You can find me on Instagram, Chanland, C-H-A-N dot L-A-N-D. And I am Mora Leora, M-O-R-A-H-L-E-O-R-A on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's back backwards. It's Leora Mora. Perfect. Anyway, that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for being here. And remember, stay rad.
I'm Tefra Jemian, the producer and host of the Yeah Podcast, a young adult lit review podcast focusing on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. Join us as we dig into the world of young adult books, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upgrade Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that change their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.